Well, it's difficult to believe, perhaps, that a few weeks ago we had a snowstorm, and now two weeks from today we'll be celebrating Easter. It'll be here before we know it. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We'll focus upon the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, an expression of God's love uh, in the crucifixion, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember uh, the significance of that day. Then we also will then prepare ourselves for, for Easter celebration, and that will approach us uh, as we fo- approach the final week uh, in the life of Jesus Christ. When we come to our text for today and thinking about extravagance of love, uh, we find a story in the Gospel according to John that's also recorded in Matthew and Mark. A few differences uh, there. But when we come to look at this story, I think we find it filled with passion and love and devotion. And it's a great challenge to us about the extravagance of love when we look at Mary's uh, act upon Jesus as she anointed his feet. I think it's a great challenge to us to think about uh, what, what is my relationship with Christ? When we approach the cross, knowing that he went there as the Son of God, got in the flesh and allowed himself uh, to be crucified for our sins, uh, what is our expression of love for that? Well, how is our lifestyle determined by that? And what does Mary teach us about that? The other character we look at in this story is, is, uh, is Judas. And we'll look briefly at him because he has a part to play in that and teaches us something as well. So look with me in the Gospel of John, the first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. That's her gift. We expect her to be doing that. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, that is with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I love adding these verses 9 through 11 because I think it shows something else around this story that also was taking place of significance. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but able to see Lazarus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Now, we don't know what happened to that account, but that's interesting, isn't it? And then here's the last part I like about this. For on account of him, that's Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. I think it's this incredible story. Now, we find this setting. The home in Bethany is told to us in Matthew and Mark's account that it's at the home of Simon the leper. And he was having a meal in appreciation for what Jesus did for him of healing him from leprosy. When we come and we look here in in, in John's gospel, we're not told that it's at at his home. It could have been. We're told that Martha was serving. Could have been in their home. 
But Martha could have been serving in somebody else's home. You have that spiritual gift of serving. You, you will carry that with you no matter where you go. But anyway, they're gathered there for a meal for Jesus. Mary's not identified in either Matthew or Mark's gospel. But she is here in John's gospel. And the reason I chose this passage is because to me it's more personable, meaningful. And, I, and for me as I read it, there, 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 there seems to be permeated through the words of Scripture uh, a deep abiding sense of joy and passionate love that just permeates everything that takes place in this account. Many years ago I read this quote from a Southern Baptist pastor by the name of Jess Moody. And he made an interesting statement. I think something we need to think about. He said, people choose a church with their noses. He said, they can smell the joy. That's interesting, isn't it? And I think it challenges us as a church. See, joy is sometimes difficult to define, but you know it when you smell it. When joy is in the air, it's present in a profound way. Joy was in the air at this meal as given to us, uh, quoted here and described in the Gospel of John at the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. Now, at the same time, this dinner party probably could be described as the most unique in all of history. Jesus was there as the guest of honor, but so was Lazarus. And Jesus had raised him back to life, and they were reclining together at the table. Wouldn't you love to have heard the conversation between those two? I would have. I wonder. What did they talk about? You know, what was the discussion about that? What did Lazarus have to say about that? Uh, I, I would love to have heard. We won't know until maybe this next side of, of eternity. But Jesus said in Matthew and Mark what we do know, and that is about what Mary did. And he said that whenever, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done here will be mentioned as the gospel is preached. Now, what about Mary? Mary knew from the teaching of Jesus what would happen to Jesus. She caught that when the disciples didn't. That's what I understand when I read this passage of Scripture. She knew, not the gory details, but she knew from his teaching that when he entered into Jerusalem, it was going to be the last days of his life, that he was going to Jerusalem to die. And so in her act, she showed the extravagance of her love for Jesus. See, in just a few hours, Jesus would ride a donkey into Jerusalem. He would cleanse the temple, curse the fig tree, clear, clear the temple courts, and then confront the hatred of the religious leaders. Tonight would be the last happy evening that Jesus would know. Tomorrow he would begin his journey to the cross. So that leads us back to Mary and her act of extravagant love. Now, what do we learn from Mary and her act of love? Well, I think we look at her and we see that Mary displayed her commitment to Jesus in an act of extravagant love. The gospel says here that Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard. She anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I think we got a painting, a picture of a painting of that scene. Uh, there she is, uh, as one artist has depicted her. I think we also have a picture of the vial that perhaps would have carried, because she would have had the, uh, the anointing oil in. From what we know, nard is a, a very expensive oil that comes from the nard plant extracted uh, out of India. 
Uh, we also know that from this story that uh, it was worth about a year's wages of a working man's life. Now you think about that. Your yearly salary spent on a bottle of perfume and then poured on someone's feet. That's what Mary did. And John says that the house was filled with its fragrance. Well, it should have been. So we asked the question, was her act extravagant? Well, I guess it all depends from your viewpoint. I think the disciples thought so. When I look at the scripture, when I read it, I think so. A year's salary on a bottle of perfume that's poured on, on a man's feet. But it's all relevant. How you define extravagant. I read about the act of Leonardo what, DiCaprio. I think we first saw him in Titanic and he's been in some other things. He recently rented a yacht for $400,000 per week to go on a sailing spree. Is that extravagant? Well, he's worth $220 million. I don't know whether that's extravagant for him or not. My book, that's extravagant. The most expensive hotel in the room goes in the, in the world goes for $82,000 per night. $82,000 per night. It's not just one room, but it's actually the Royal Penthouse Suite, 12 bedrooms in the Hotel President Wilton in Geneva. Well, Bill Gates is worth $79 billion. He recently spent the night there. Was that extravagant to him? I don't know if a man is worth $79 billion. Heck, I saw a sign the other night advertising Motel 6 for $53.99. That's extravagant to me. I also read in 2014, a 1962 Ferrari 250 sold for $34 million. That seems extravagant to me, but I guess for the buyer it was a deal. So how do we describe what's extravagant? It's got to be like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder or maybe in the pocketbook or the bank account of the beholder. How much is too much? Well, it depends. I think we would all agree that the Taj Mahal is um, one of the wonders of the world. See it there? Speculation is, is that to replace it would be somewhere between $10 billion and, and a trillion dollars. Is that too much? Well, it's extravagant, I think. But for Mary, go back to Mary and think about that question of extravagance. Was her gift extravagant? Not to her. She wasn't showing off her wealth. Why did she do what she did? Well, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And she had witnessed that. And she knew from that that Jesus was more than just simply a teacher or a prophet. But she knew that he came from God and that he was God in the flesh. She knew that he had power and authority that could come only from God. Now you think about her anointing Jesus in the Old Testament, there were only four groups of people who were anointed. Prophet, priest, kings, and the dead. Jesus met those three, first three requirements already. Prophet, priest, and king. Soon he would be among the dead and need to be anointed. It's interesting that when you look at Mary and her role, that you find her in the scripture, that she takes center stage three times in the New Testament. All three times she's seated where? At the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, she wants to hear the words of the Lord. In John 11, she wants to experience the works of the Lord. And in John 12 here, she wants to declare the worth of the Lord. She didn't come to that house for the meal. She didn't come for the fellowship. She didn't come to ask questions. I don't know that she came to listen. 
She simply came to give her best and to show her affection to Jesus. She was so motivated by her love that she didn't care about the tradition of that day. No woman of high standing would lower her hair, undo her hair, sit at a man's feet, and certainly not wipe his feet with her hair. That was something that was done in private, not for others to see. And then when Judas objected to what Mary did, Jesus said, leave her alone. She's kept it for the day of my burial. So what did Mary know? Well, maybe it was a woman's tuition. Maybe she was just more intuitive than the disciples and others around her. But she knew something was up with Jesus. And before his death, she wanted to show him the depth of her love. And in my opinion, it was an extravagant act of love. So what do we learn from Mary? I think there's some lessons to be learned there about true, deep, abiding, everlasting, honest-to-goodness love. It just cannot be explained. Love really has no reasons for its actions. We also look at Mary and we see that she was all in. She was totally committed in love to Jesus. And she would not be distracted nor deterred from her display of her love for Jesus. She didn't care what others thought about her worship of Jesus. Now what does it say to us? What's the challenge about this extravagant gift of Mary's love? I think it says this to us, that if my faith never causes me to do things that make no sense to others, including other Christians, then I'm just simply playing it safe with my love, my worship, and my witness for Jesus. I think that's where most of us are. We just simply play it safe. We come to worship, Bible study on Sunday mornings when we feel like it, when we don't have other things that conflict with it. We really don't get engaged in any any radical actions about the kingdom and its growth and about confronting the darkness, the sinfulness and wickedness and lostness that's in our community. We just play it safe. And for most of us, that means we want our way. We want it to be comfortable. We don't want to be stretched out of our comfort zone. And I think Mary shows us the act of love that takes you out of your comfort zone and causes you to do something absolutely radical. Well, then what's the payoff for it? I think we all want to know that. If I move out of my comfort zone and I do something radical, I do something extravagant for Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, if we approach the end of our life, I think we need to ask ourselves, or even at this point, wherever you are in your life, could that be said of you? I have to ask it, could that be said of me? Could that really be said of any of us? That we would do something so profound and so radical and so extravagant for the kingdom of God and our love for Jesus Christ that whenever the gospel might be preached, what we have done would be told in our memory. That's something to think about, I think. And I think Mary shows us that.
and that gift of extravagant love. Now, before we leave the story, let's look at the other character. Here's the villain in this story, I think, and that's Judas. What do we see about Judas? Well, Judas displayed his allegiance also. But Judas displayed his allegiance in an attitude of defiance. You hear what he said? Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. His keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Now, we know what Judas did later on, but think about two things right here before you move on. And we'll move on later about that with Judas. Judas isn't yet the Judas we know who betrayed Jesus at this point in the story. John makes it clear that he is the one who later will betray Jesus. And you read in Matthew and Mark that it was at that moment that the devil entered into him and he went and sealed a deal with the religious leaders to turn Jesus over to him. But at that point, he was not that Judas. The other thing to remember is when you read in Matthew and Mark's account of that gospel, all the other disciples, they, we're told, thought the same thing. All the other disciples thought the same thing, that this was wasted extravagance, and that money could have been put to better use. So that brings us to Judas's objection. He said, that's uh, about 300 denarii worth of oil, maybe about $45,000 in that day. We don't know how in the world Mary got that. It could have been something she inherited. Who knows? But what she did with it cannot be denied. It was a radical act of love, extravagance. And in the disciples' eyes, it was somewhat reckless and wasteful. Well, listen to what Jesus said. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, when you hear that on the surface level, you might think Jesus is somewhat callous at that moment towards the poor. Was he really wanting something extravagant for himself? No, he didn't ask for it. He didn't demand it. But he saw that that gift came from a heart filled with love and devotion from Mary's act. He also was quoting scripture, or at least referring to it in Deuteronomy 15, 11. And that scripture says, there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. Now here's what I think Jesus is saying to Judas. You know, he knew that Judas was a phony, right? But yet he was in that chosen 12 because he had a part to play. But I think Jesus was saying to him, don't use your phony compassion as an excuse to criticize Mary. The law commands for you always to take care of the poor. You've got money of your own. Use your own money on the poor and stop criticizing Mary for what she has done. So what do we learn from Judas and what happened here? I think that we have to see that Satan despises the extravagant display of our affection for Jesus. 
He always stirs up trouble when we worship extravagantly and do something reckless and totally committed to the kingdom of God. He stirred up the heart of Judas. The devil always hates extravagant worship. Right after Jesus was born and the wise men came and they brought the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what happened? Those were extravagant gifts of worship, right? What happened immediately after that point? That's when Herod set out the decree to kill every baby boy in Bethlehem. Satan hates those extravagant displays of passion for the kingdom of God. Now look at the difference between Mary and Judas. Mary loved Jesus. Judas loved money. And they each made their choice. Mary showed her uninhibited devotion to Jesus. And hers was of radical love. And I think we need to review once again some of these lessons about our love for Jesus. What is extravagant love? And I think we learned that true love for Jesus cannot really be explained, only expressed. Radical love for Christ will oftentimes be misunderstood. It was when Mary made that extravagant display of love. Radical love for Jesus always leads us to take risk of faith. Now hold on to your hearts with this one. Radical love for Jesus challenges our spiritual adultery. We are all spiritually promiscuous. And God calls for our love above all other loves. Try that on for science. Look at your life this coming week. Look at your life the past week or the past month or the past six months. And where has your spiritual loyalty been given? We are all spiritually promiscuous at times. And God calls for our love above all others. So let's wrap it up. This lesson on extravagant love. How much is too much love for Jesus? How much is too extravagant love? I would say that there's no such thing. It wasn't for Mary. Jesus didn't stop her and say, no, 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 don't do that. You need to save that. I know that cost you a lot. He didn't stop her from doing that. Why? Because evidently that's what God put in her heart for her to do to show her love and devotion to Jesus Christ. So as we think of Jesus approaching the cross, the challenge for us is to love him extravagantly. Not necessarily mean that we have an, uh, an alabaster filled with expensive perfume or some other gift that we give to Jesus, but it does mean that we do something radical in our love for Him that maybe we've never done before. So I think the challenge to us as we walk to the cross with Jesus 
is to let your faith lead you out of your comfort zone. Quit playing it safe and do something radical for the kingdom of God. Mary did. And whenever the gospel is proclaimed, it remembers her act of extravagant love. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the cross and we look at this story of Mary and her deep devotion and her love for your son Jesus Christ, may we too be challenged from our complacency in our faith from our spiritual promiscuous activities as we deviate from our ultimate love for you above all else. May we be challenged to show our love for you, to have that extravagant love that defies explanation and can only be exhibited. Father, may we be people of such faith and gratitude because of your love for us that we're willing to be radical in our actions for you, for your glory, and for your kingdom. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.